and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. And good morning. It is great to see everyone here this morning. Great to worship with you. If you can, try to... um find a seat and we can begin a little bit. You know, we've just had an exciting time through this book of Hebrews and we've learned so much, haven't we? We've kind of looked at the difference between the old and the new covenants, the concept of a human high priest and the high priest who is Jesus and the perfect high priest. We've learned about the new covenant and the old covenant in terms of how it set us free and how it has made us into holy people. And then God chases that in us through discipline, right? And faith, we've learned about how faith is, you know, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then we've talked about then God disciplining us as children, and we're supposed to respect that as children to their father, you know? How this discipline that happens in us is something that we should revere. It means that he loves us. And because we know God is good, we know that his plan for us is good. We're gonna be taking kind of a a different look in terms of teaching as we go through this morning because a lot of teaching is based on teaching, presenting information. This morning we're gonna kind of hit the other areas. In 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. So we're gonna kind of um, not provide you with a lot of information today, kind of different, but we're gonna be doing more exhortation. And this concept of exhortation is pathonorthosis, which means to strengthen I'm sorry, straighten up again. I like that. Strengthening up again. Getting straight again. Um, And that's where we get correction. And that's kind of where we're going to be going today. And I just kind of want to review a little bit that God disciplines us as children. And that's because he loves us. And the other part of this is that he focuses us towards looking to him, to being conformed into his image, that we could identify and be complete in what scripture calls his holiness. And we're gonna look at holiness this morning a little bit. But the most important thing is the outcome of discipline and that is righteousness and peace. So God is disciplining us so that we, we will understand his righteousness and we can understand what it means to have his peace. So when we talk about discipline, we don't talk about how it's humbling or how difficult it is sometimes or frustrating, but upon what God is building in us for the future. And we need to also understand that God doesn't purposely chasten us in terms of causing events in our lives to make things difficult. He does it because he loves us and he does it for these particular purposes. So fasten your seatbelts, open your Bibles to Hebrews 12. And uh, let's start taking a look at our passage for this morning um, in Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. I'm going to read through the entire passage that we're going to cover this morning so that we can kind of get a context for what we're going to be breaking down as we move through the passage together. Um, Beginning verse 12. 
Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is impaired may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And that there be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. So this happens, this verse happens right after he's talking about how God disciplines us. And essentially, he's having us be mindful, take action, and pursue direction. Verse 12, it starts out, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is impaired may not be dislocated but rather be healed. You know, this is a very powerful passage because note the choice and the responsibility are ours. Someone had brought up at the last service that, you know, God directs our paths. <laughs> he does, but we have to listen and comply and obey. This is the obedience side of making your path straight. It's not that God hasn't given you direction. Sometimes we just kind of go astray a little bit with it. And so he's saying that we need to recognize what's going on with us. We need to recognize our weaknesses. And he uses the examples of hands, you know, having a firm grasp. When you're serving, complete your service, making sure that you're strong enough, that, you're, that you have learned enough about where things can go wrong in yourself, that you recognize that and you let God kind of cause that growth within you. And that happens a lot through his discipline when he speaks to us when things aren't going so well. Knees, I like this one. I don't know if you ever hurt your knees before or your legs. <laughs> when you try to get up, you try to walk, or if you get thrown off course a little bit, if you're on an unsteady path, you can damage your legs. You can do more damage than you did originally. And so what this passage is saying is, you know what? Strengthen your hands. Make sure your knees are solid. And how that looks for in our life is that there are areas of our life that are being impaired maybe by times we haven't listened to what God was trying to teach us. And those areas kind of like make us vulnerable, right? They don't really go away on their own. God keeps teaching us the same lessons. Sometimes some people never learn the lessons. I know there's lessons that have taken me years to figure out. I could have probably figured them out probably when they happened the first time, but it takes time and God is patient with me and he works with me. So we have to find out what areas of our life are compromised. The consequence of denial or lack of attention can result in damage. We have to straight, straighten our path. We can't wander. I don't know if you've ever done that. You kind of looked at something and you, you started off here and you ended up way over here and you said, what happened? How, how did that happen? And see, that goes back to the original part of our passage in 1 Timothy, right? 2 Timothy. Um, where it says to straighten up again we got to kind of go look at where we're at and kind of change our course. Realize we've gone the wrong direction. And the other thing is, instead of hurting ourselves, when we realize what God is doing in our lives, 
we have this sense of healing. Now, healing in this passage is not what most Christians like. I mean, many Christians want healing immediately from God, right? They'll come to counseling and they'll say, you just pray for me, this will be taken care of. My anger problem will be gone. I will no longer rob from my boss. And I will be honest on all of my income tax returns. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, there's that conviction that happens from God that we have to be responsive to, sensitive to his spirit working in our lives. We have to understand it. So this healing is a natural, not a miraculous process in this text. It results in our ability to give it proper attention. So how we get healed, essentially through this passage, is we recognize what's weak and we take action towards it so that it gets taken care of, that we're no longer vulnerable. Recognizing our weaknesses and then taking action for change. I already mentioned that some people come to counseling and they kind of want me to fix them or they want to be healed by God. And if they're just praying hard enough, that'll happen. It reminds me of the guy who comes into my office and he looks at me and he goes, hi. And I go, hi, how can I help you? I say to him, and he looks at me and he says, I'm dead. And I go, you're dead? You mean like dead, dead? And he goes, I'm dead. And I go, well, do dead people breathe? And he goes, they can. <laughs> and I go, okay, I got it. Do dead people bleed? And he goes, no, they don't. So I hand him a pen, and he takes it, I say, poke your finger. He pokes his finger, and blood comes out. And this powerful realization comes over him, and he goes, I was wrong. Dead people can bleed. Recognizing what we need to work on and how we work on it is so important. It's a cognitive discipline that involves some humility, a faith response towards the discipline of God in our lives and our response to discipline, a faith response, and a spiritual workout that results in addressing those deficits in our spiritual walk. And this is where that verse at the very beginning comes in so convenient because the word of God is profitable for teaching, correction, exhortation. And see, this is that spiritual workout. We work the word of God in our lives. Uh, it's always, no, it's not unique or surprising. I love it. But whenever I look at a passage or I teach a passage, it's like I see it from a whole new perspective every time. And you know why? Because God's been working in my life. And I see a different perspective of that passage, and he is applying that to me as I do it. It's pretty awesome. But it does mean that we have to be willing to ask that vulnerable question. What are my weaknesses? How is God disciplining me? And what is the faith response to his correction? God, I'm going through this. How can I be used? What do I need to learn? What am I doing wrong? What are you trying to show me? Coming from this perspective, we understand the importance of grace, right? Because when we understand the perspective of grace, everything starts kind of flowing together because we understand that we're fallible. We're gonna make some mistakes. And you know what else? We're gonna realize that we are forgiven completely. And that feels really good when you're forgiven, doesn't it? First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just 
to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we love that. Don't we like to experience? It's the next part we have a problem with. We realize that others will fall or make life choices in air that will affect us. And that's when we get a little self-righteous, right? <laughs> that's when extending that grace and that forgiveness gets a little bit more difficult. And if you're feeling like I'm talking to you, I am, because I talk to me too. We all have that tendency to love the forgiveness and the grace, but a little bit more difficult when someone has really wronged us or hurt us to extend that to others. But as we benefit from God's grace, when we realize the power that we are fallible, when we realize the fact that God has truly forgiven us, this isn't just some sort of religious exercise, that this is something that's real, it's genuine. When we realize that, we realize the importance in our life, and we start extending that to other people, something magical happens. It happens for us and it happens for them. We are able to grow. So many people think grace is just turning your back or acting nice. But grace does not justify or rationalize sin. Rather, it cuts us free from guilt, resentment, and certain labels. When we apply grace, discipline can proceed to benefit its end goal. And that's righteousness. Grace towards others follows the path of God's purpose and releases the offender to the conviction and direction of God. The verse might make more sense to you now. Don't take on your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. Because when you leave room for the wrath of God, God starts working with that person. It doesn't mean that God's going to go stomp them out. <laughs> They're going to go bankrupt or something like that. It simply means you let God do his stuff as he's done his stuff in you. And there's that element of grace that allows you just to know he is God. And that is good. You know, poor self-assessment leads to a delusion. A delusion. <laughs> oh, you heard it that time, huh? All right, a delusion. And, and maybe other parts of the scripture start making sense, particularly in the book of Revelation. Listen to this. Poor self-assessment. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. You know, you think you're one thing, but you're not. And it's not that God isn't trying to show us, right? We kind of know. We just find out that the older we get, the more we can kind of put it off. And what that can look like in our lives sometimes is kind of like a, a sense of superiority. We have trouble forgiving. And it leads to deeds of the flesh, some of the specific ones I'm going to cover a little bit later on. But the most important thing is we have this delusion that we are rich when we are not. We're poor, miserable, naked. And that delusion isn't good. So the scripture prompts us in this, this section of Hebrews to move forward. And what it says is change your pursuit. Instead of pursuing your own revenge, instead of pursuing um, your own grievances, instead of not establishing grace in your life and others, pursue peace with all people 
and the holiness which no one will see the Lord. In other words, it's saying pursue peace and pursue holiness. Now, once again, pursue is, is a choice we can make and more importantly, it's a directive in this passage. It is our responsibility to pursue peace and holiness. Now, when we look at peace, we look at calm relationships that are contrary to the deeds of the flesh, things like strife, factions, those kinds of things. When we look at contrasting our responses from arrogance to holiness, we realize the message of redemption and carry, that we carry towards ourselves and how it affects others. So when we're looking at this, we're looking at this and we're kind of going, you know, holiness, what does this mean? Um, some truths regarding peace, and we're gonna talk about holiness in just a bit. Um, pursuing peace is not a guarantee of peace, right? You can try to pursue peace with other people and it might go horribly wrong. Not because of anything you're doing, but because of their response to you. There was someone that was trying to reconcile with their brother and they sent a text just admitting what they had done wrong and the venom that came back in the response to his text was amazing. There was no forgiveness, there was no grace. And his point was, just keeps praying for him, keeps working on him, those kinds of things. He lets God deal with it. So peace, pursuing peace is not a guarantee of peace. Remember, Jesus did not have peace with everybody. He pursued peace. But when they resisted who God was and what God was doing, they tried to countermand his mission. He stood. He stood and there was conflict. And there's going to be conflict in our life. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it will hate you too. This isn't a, gee, come love me world thing. It, it's not real. If you think it's real, I'm happy for you. Teach me how it's working for you because I know that when I address the word of God, it's like putting something, we used to have this thing, these real burny stuff when I was a kid when they treated things, you know, and it was just sting. The word of God can have that kind of sting for people that are lost in sin. Pursuing peace and holiness is just simply a hallmark of a good witness. It reflects what God has done in our life and it helps us realize that truth and then we can show it off to others. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify the Father. When we pursue holiness, when we pursue peace, we're living up to who we are, what he's done for us and to whom we belong. We realize the truth behind our redemption. Without Christ setting us apart, making us holy, his blood, through his blood, then we cannot see the Lord. That's what this passage says, of which no one will see the Lord. Now we put that in a much kinder way. Because Christ set us apart, his blood making us holy, then we will see the Lord. That simply means that people that don't receive his blood and don't receive the gospel and don't receive the truth of what Jesus did, in our world, on the cross, and after the cross, they can't see God. So it's all the more important that we reflect a sense of genuineness about our faith. 
the life of the non-believer needs to see a difference in the life of the believer. And then the holiness we pursue, the path to a needed change through Christ. Now, I say I talk about holiness a little bit later. It's a little bit later. And the word comes from the word hagias. And what that means is that it's something set apart, something sanctified, something different. And it's special to the Lord because it contains an ethical element related to our worship. Remember, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, right? And so this holiness that we have, that he did for us, not something we can do on our own, is something that grows within us and it bursts out when we love one another, when we extend grace, when we trust him, when we're going through a tough time and we know he's walking with us. God views us as holy upon justification, his justification of us. But we must work in his power to become holy in the actual practice of daily walk. We have to pursue holiness. I told you I was going to compare it with the deeds of the flesh. Think about the, some of the, the deeds of the flesh that directly affect other people. I highlight them here in yellow. How about indecent behavior? How about hostilities? How about strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy? Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. Just as he chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy, we'd be set apart. By this will, Hebrews 10.10, I love this one. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Isn't that cool? Do you see yourself as holy? Do you know that the word agias is also used in terms of saint? When he calls you saint, he calls you holy. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. And our goal and our pursuit in life is to reveal that every day. And in the very beginning, we were guilty by association, as Romans 5.19 says, it's through one man's disobedience that many were made sinners. Also in the same verse, the latter part, we're holy by association. So also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So let's take a look at the fruit of the Spirit and kind of see how it might affect other people. Look at these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wow. Is that not what the world is looking for? Isn't that what they're trying to pursue in all their little psychology and all their little practices and drugs and everything else? Holiness is the mark of our difference between the unregenerate life and Ephesians 1, the purpose of Christ's work was that we should be holy and blameless. It's also the work of the new covenant. Remember, we find this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may not be from ourselves, but through him. So as this, this exhortation continues, he says these magic little words, see to it. Maybe you heard your parents say that. See to it that you clean your room. See to it that you brush your teeth. This is not quite on that level, but it's probably the most important verses, verse that we can really use in our lives. And I think you'll see why, because it actually is the center of everything Christians experience. 
See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It is our responsibility as believers to see to it that no one gets defiled through bitterness. And that includes you and I. I have to make sure bitterness doesn't grow up in me. You have to make sure bitterness doesn't grow up in you. The realization is that we live in a lost world. People can see our shortcomings and never see the love of God. By what we do in the church, sometimes we can defile other people. We can become spiritually toxic. At the same time, we can help others avoid stumbling into disbelief by the way we deal with grievances. You know, it's interesting, when they did a recent study on why people leave the church, one of the reasons the um, study provided was the horrible way Christians teach each other. I teach? <laughs> Treat each other. All right. It's not that bad, is it? All right. <laughs> the horrible way we treat each other, that kind of thing. Um, I have a deformed ear. Okay. Now, one of the things that happens when we encounter grievance and we don't combine it with grace, it broods in us. It rots. And it turns into this thing called bitterness. And this bitterness has a lot to do with the memory of pain or the memory of a shortcoming. And not just the memory of the event, because it's hard to forget the event. But it is the emotion and the interpretation of that event that really adds to the concept of bitterness. And what this does is this, this starts to permeate like a fungus in our life like a cancer, and it, it, it evolves into relational deterioration and a perspective of judgment towards yourself and others. It breeds legalism. My mother was 15 when two servicemen came to her door on her birthday and told her and her mom that her brother had been killed. Now, my mom had become a Christian about six months before that. Her brother had as well. But she saw the brokenness of her parents and her brokenness, and she, she called the church, and she begged them to come visit. They never called. They never visited. She lived with that agony, and that turned into bitterness, and pretty soon she would not put her foot in another church. And yet she'd always push us out the door. <laughs> you know, she knew it was true, but it was this concept of this bitterness that she wrapped up and soon it became God. Why would God allow this to happen? What type of guy would let my parents go through? And she watched her mom try to commit suicide and everything. It was horrible to watch her go through this. And she dove into alcoholism. And soon, until four months before she died, she released that. And her whole perspective on everything changed. Her relationships, her outlook on life, bitterness defiles. We have a responsibility to be free of contaminants. The root of bitterness. How is this manifested? Well, 
seeking vengeance, gossip, being divisive, evidenced by the presence of passive aggressive behaviors. You've all experienced that. And I would bet you've all done that. I have. All right, it's hard to believe. Little Raj. But yeah, I can do that, all right? And it's like this kind of, this kind of root of bitterness. Um, the no resentment caution ensures our lives will not interfere with other salvation or cause others to stumble. We don't want to contaminate others with our grievances and bitterness towards others. You know, and many times we can kind of wrap that up to a spiritual kind of cloak, right? Um, so, so, oh no, I forgive them, they're fine. They can't help it that they're rotten human beings and they, 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 they're probably going to die a miserable death, hopefully in the next two weeks, you know. But I'm praying for them, oh baby, I'm praying for them. Our tech pastor, who I love, Josh, puts this, um, gave me this illustration. He says, it's like spiritual deodorant. <laughs> you know, you're trying to cover up the, cover up the real smell, what's really going on. So now we can kind of see the importance of the association between grace and bitterness. Grace relieves bitterness. It helps us see what, what is defiling us and defiling others, if we're open to it, if we have a sane assessment of ourselves. What this means is we have to take a mental inventory and clean out the past. The reason why I said this passage was so important for Christians and why it was so significant is this is the number one cause of impairment for Christians. It affects their marriage, their family, and other relationships. It affects their self-concept. There's nothing like being a victim, is it? Our perception and our ability to trust others in God, it deteriorates our pursuit of the future self, the future self that God has in mind of you, that you will be holy in his sight, and stifles the fruit of holiness we've achieved through Christ. We're so busy being hurt. I hate the term brokenness, even though I just used it. I don't like the term, Christians using that term, because that's not what it's talking about in, in the Bible. It's talking about broken and contrite heart. God won't despise. But we use it like we're somehow damaged, like something can't come back. Well, this scripture gives us good news. We can be healed simply by giving attention to it, addressing it, and allowing God's grace to work its stuff. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. And that's why the New Testament focuses on mitigating or resolving or interfering with resentment, right? Love does not keep lists of wrongdoing, right? No account of wrong suffered. Let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Romans. Wow. How many times do we have to forgive our brother, Lord? Seventy times seven you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's the anchor, huh? We just don't get to bathe in it. We get to share it. We get to share it. Colossians 3 doesn't give any room. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you do also. So that's what it means to love God means to love yourself, giving yourself grace and understanding that he is working with you and disciplining you. It means that you offer the same grace to other people and allow God to work through them. It's a very cool thing. But he moves on. He keeps going. 
If you thought you were getting through this easy, you're not. He moves on to the next category. And the next category goes like this, that there be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought with it with tears. So we find out now that these contagions I've been talking about have a lot to do with things that are going on around us, people that we accept in our midst. Why is this so important? We know, right, that we live in a culture that demands that we change our belief system. Many churches have jumped on board with it, by the way. If you haven't noticed, the Pope has jumped on board with it. But we can't do that because we're social human beings. That's why we have fellowship. That's why we worship together. That's why we pray for one another. That's why we bear one another's burdens because we're social people. And the spirit amongst us works as an organism. But it can work the other way too. You can allow false teachers in. You can allow people who are sexually immoral in. You can listen and allow different teachings and philosophies in. It's a contagion. It's something that starts working in you and un undoing what God has done. Forsaking the purposes of salvation for the flesh. Now we all give in to the flesh every now and then and God calls us back and we go through this discipline process. I'm talking about the people that don't. So we have to first of all make sure, one, we're not the person that's sexually immoral or the person that sells out their faith for a moment of pleasure. And if we find that that is true, which it can be, we have to straighten up, right, again and get on the right path. It's very doable. So he gives the illustration of Esau. And Esau and his brother, Jacob, were always at each other and one day, Esau, who was considered very hairy and very a man of the wilderness, a wilderness man, he's out and he's hunting. And he's hunting and hunting and he comes back and, and his brother Jacob has fixed the best stew. And so he's there and he's going, oh, I'm famished. Let me have some of that stew. And Jacob, who is considered to be the person that likes to stay in where the tents are, where people are, um, obviously a pretty good cook, um, he's sitting there, he's going, okay, let me sell it to you for your birthright. And Esau says, my poor brother, he doesn't realize that he doesn't have the power to give away a birthright, and I don't, that's dad's. So, sure, let me have my, my meal. He eats his meal, sure enough, it comes around, Sorry, I have a deformed ear, like I said. Let's see. Um, it comes around that um, his dad looks at Esau, Isaac looks at Esau, and says, hey, Esau, I want to give you your birthright before I die. Go out, catch some game, let's have dinner, and I'm going to give you your birthright when you come back. Well, mom hears this, and this is a dysfunctional family, by the way. Dad likes Esau, mom likes... Isaac, I'm sorry, Jacob, thanks. Um, little dysfunctional. But what happens is, while he's out, mom goes, come on, let's get some hair and put it on your face and make you all hairy. 
dad's blind. Let's go in there and get the, uh, let's get the inheritance. In fact, she goes so, so far as she cooks a really nice meal. So, you know, he thinks this is all fresh stuff. And uh, sure enough, sure enough, Isaac gives Jacob the blessing. Little Esau comes in after hunting, working hard. He's all ready to have his blessing and says, huh, I already gave it to you. No, you didn't. Finds out that he gives it to his brother. He's mad because his brother stole it. He never realizes that he gave it away, that he didn't value it. And what happens with poor little Esau here is, is Esau is just so upset. He's so bitter. He pursues years after this trying to kill his brother to get that back. God kind of shows him both a little trick here because in order for Jacob to leave, he actually leaves the inheritance <laughs> um, if he wants to stay alive. Uh, but it's his whole attitude. He never repents. And though he's asking, Dad, no, come on, undo it. He says, I can't do that. I can just simply give you another little blessing. And he's crying and he's weeping. But he never repented. And it just goes to tell us that, you know, just wanting what you discarded with sorrow and groaning will not rectify the loss. Sometimes we are just so upset over the consequences in our life that things have gone so horribly bad that we are sitting there and we're groaning and we're crying, but we never want to repent. I'm going to be having lunch, hopefully this week, with someone who will be dead, I'd say probably in three weeks, of a heroin overdose. He used to go to this youth group. He's really upset with what's going on in his life, but there's no repentance. And I'm praying that he repents. Sometimes the consequences of our choices can be unforgiving, but there's always repentance. There's always repentance. Recognize your error and making straight your path. Hebrews calls us to this incredible faith plan. Focus on the things hoped for and the work of the unseen. That is our definition of faith, right? Have a sane assessment of yourself. Make sure you are aware of your weaknesses and address those work areas towards strengths or healing. Make your path straight, reflecting the holiness Christ has accomplished for you. Let that holiness be revealed in you, that being set apart, that sanctification. Make sure you are on the right path. Make your path straight. Then recognize that resentment is the antithesis to grace. If you are experiencing resentment, it's time to get that out on the table. Don't deny it. Don't try to admit it's not there. Get it out on the table. Start asking God to work with you through that. He will. He does. And if you need some help, we have a great care team here that can really reach out to you. and see to it that whatever resentment you have is mitigated with the knowledge of God's grace towards the world and towards yourself. And last, watch for unhealthy choices. So I, I want to kind of conform to what I'm supposed to do up here. And uh, so I came up with three R's to close with. Someone walked up to me after the last service and said, that was very Presbyterian of you. I'm trying, okay? 
first one is recognize. Be mindful of your strengths and work areas in your life. The second one is reinforce. Apply discipline. That means preparation, correction, feedback from others so that you can strengthen yourself out, straighten yourself out in these work areas. Release. Let go of resentment, guilt, and others who may be a contaminant to your work, walk. The enticements of others who walk and pursue the flesh. Avoid those contaminants. Pursue peace and reveal God's holiness in you. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, how you love us. How you love us. You discipline us as your children. We know what you are producing in us is your holiness. Help us to pursue peace, not dissension, not aggression, not hostility. Help us to pursue your holiness, not what we want, but who you are, and following your walk, following Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, thank you so much that, that we have the ability to recognize contagions and keep those out of our life. Father, I just pray that the Spirit would work in everyone that right now, even at this minute, we would be cognizant of those and we could start going, you know what, this isn't, this isn't working good for me. You know, Father, we, we need to forgive. I need to forgive this person. I need to move on. I need to let you deal with them. Father, help us do that. Help us be honest with ourselves and where we need to, to do in accordance with who you are. We want to be imitators of you. Father, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for the different things going on, for the needs of many right now, including myself, that um, you would just address those individually. Um, may we always seek you with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.